Okay, we are in a preach series that I am calling Heart Surgery. Heart Surgery. We spoke last week and I talked about hardness of heart. I just want to say thank you because I got massive feedback. I just know that God touched on some stuff there because of the amount of feedback I got. Like, wow, I needed to hear that. You know, I felt like I was in a soft place, but when you unpacked it, I was in a harder place than I thought. And hardness of heart impacts how you're going to live, how you're going to react, how you're going to speak. And it was good. So today I want to keep pursuing it. And today we're going to look at generosity of heart. Turn to the person next to you and say generosity of heart. Let me underpin this biblically, and I'm going to use the message translation just because I love the wording of it. It's here in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, and it says this, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Can you see the language? I love it. You don't really have to interpret that too much. You can see what it says. The reality is God wants you, God wants people fulfilled, satisfied to have flow. And generosity is a concept of heaven that attracts blessing on earth. It's a concept of heaven that attracts blessings on earth. The world of the generous gets bigger. Why? Because the weight of heaven can get behind it. And when you have the weight of heaven behind you, your world just gets bigger. It increases. We're living in a kingdom of increase. I'm definitely saying some good stuff and not getting many amens. Thank you. It reflects God. Because God so loved the world that he gave That was his response out of a heart of generosity, out of a heart of love, out of a heart of compassion. He didn't look at the situation and go, oh, that's a shame. He was moved to give. He gave his best. He gave Jesus. In fact, he gave everything that me and you would be blessed. Can you see that? So can I suggest that generosity is more of a heart condition than an action? The action comes out of the heart condition. Let me show you this. Proverbs 23. Verses 6 through 8, New King James says this. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Have we seen that somewhere before? For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Can you see the difference here? He is saying, eat with me. Come and share my food. His his action is good, but his heart is not generous. And so therefore, although you go and eat with him, which feels good, because you know his heart is not with you, it doesn't feel good to you. The Bible says you vomit it up. Can you see? So the heart behind it actually drives the outcome more than the action itself. And this right here is why we need to be pursuing generous hearts. Because then your actions flow from a generous heart and it directs what happens afterwards. It causes a different outcome every single time. Have you ever been to a meal with three or four other people, maybe couples, singles, friends, I don't know. There's a crowd of you of some sort and you have a brilliant time. You've had a couple of glasses of wine. You've had some great food. The dessert was unbelievably good. You're laughing. The banter's flowing. And then the bill turns up. 
and the atmosphere goes and you'll start looking at each other and we all know what we're thinking don't we you know what I'm thinking it's gone flipping quiet in here <laughs> we're all thinking how's this going to work we didn't agree it beforehand what we're doing we're paying each other's oh, oh, I don't know there's this we all see the cogs turning but no one says anything and then someone like me, and this is just how I like to do things, I'm like, there's four couples here, should we just split it four ways? And then someone pipes up. Oh, oh, Barry, you had one more drink than me, and you had three courses, and I only had two, which means I'm paying for your extras. That doesn't seem very fair to me. <laughs> Anyone experienced that by raise of hand? Yes. And like, it, it ruins the whole night. You've had some good food, you've had good laughs, and what do you walk away thinking? Oh, they've been rubbish. What's the matter with them? What, what they're really saying is, I cost three pounds more than them, and the great night we just had wasn't worth an extra three pounds. I'll throw me a bone, someone. <laughs> do you see? But what I want us to look at today is, what's the heart behind that? Because it's the heart that affects the outcome. Can you see it? Have you been to a meal with a different group of people? That person wasn't there this time. Didn't get invited back. Came out and you've had the lovely meal and someone at the end says, guys, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but I'd really love it if I could just pay for the whole thing. Would you, would you mind? We're all like, oh, hallelujah. Wish I had the steak. But the outcome, the way you walk away, is the outcome of experiencing a generous heart. Can you see the difference? Same night, same food, all the rest of it, but stingy heart, generous heart. The world of the generous gets larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller because you ain't getting invited again. Can you see? Practical examples of how that works out. Have you ever had the experience where you were desperately, you, 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 your car was off the road and you needed to get the children somewhere or you needed to get to a business appointment and someone rang you up and said, I've heard you've got a situation, do you want to borrow my car? It's just like, thank you, Jesus. And the reason they can do that is because of the condition of their heart. I see your problem, I can meet that need, let me help you, even if it costs me something. Has anyone ever said, you know, you're, you're going to the airport or, or you need to get across town? I'll take you. Those are the actions of a generous heart. And what does it do? It makes life explode. It makes people feel loved and favoured and cared for. It is good. Your world just gets bigger. Generosity of heart makes other people feel valued. It's not... Generosity is a heart condition and not a material possessions condition. And the reason I know that is because for some years I owned a window cleaning round with my brother Daniel. And we had this monster window cleaning round all over town. We were on every estate. By the way, just a little advert, he still does it if you need your windows done. <laughs> but come Christmas, you get the Christmas tips. Amen. You get the Christmas tips. And uh, you turn up and uh, you do the windows and you've been there every month for a year. And uh, you, you, so, not everyone's the same, so I'm not tiring everyone the same brush, okay, just as an underpin. 
But our average experience was we go to estates where there is obvious wealth, very large five and six bedroom houses, gardens that are the size of a park, three very brand new German cars on the drive. There's obviously money there. You get there and you think, oh, this is good, Christmas time, Christmas time, it's great, it's great. They say, oh, have a nice Christmas, boys. We're like, walk away. But then you go to the estates where it's clearly less financially well off than that and every single house thanks so much for what you've done boys here's another fiver here's another fiver and those five pounds you walk away at the end of the day and you've got a couple of hundred quid tips we're like praise jesus but the people who had the possessions didn't have the heart the people who didn't have the possessions did have the heart my point is generosity of heart isn't about what you've got it's about something that's going on the inside of you can you sit hear me we can all be generous whether we're very wealthy or not very wealthy, whether we have stuff or we don't have stuff. You can demonstrate a generous heart. Are you with me? So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of situations we find Jesus in through the filter of Jesus' generous heart. Stories that you will be well familiar with. 5,000 men are hungry. If we throw in the children and the, and the, and the, the women, it's probably going to be like 15,000 men and women and children are hungry. And the disciples said to Jesus, let's send them away, you know. All these people, they're hungry, they want to eat. What does a generous heart do? The generous heart of Jesus says, let's feed them. And the guys are like, what on earth? And Jesus says, what have we got? And the little lad comes with the loaves and the fishes. You know the story. Jesus didn't have much, but he had a generous heart. And he had faith in a God who gets his weight behind the generous heart. He says, come on, let's pray over this. And they pray, and you know how it goes. They feed everyone, and here is how heaven blesses a generous heart. 15,000 people probably ate, and there was 12 baskets over. 12 baskets over. See, God gets his weight behind generosity, and he never leaves you short. In fact, he leaves you with overflow. That is a demonstration right out of the heart of Jesus right there. What about the centurion? The centurion comes to Jesus and said, my son is dying. What does Jesus do? Looking through the filter of a generous heart. He is busy, Jesus is. Very busy. Everywhere he goes, crowds following him. People wanted to hear him, speak to him, ask him questions, touch him. Everywhere he went, he was Imagine being that guy. So, so busy. And someone comes up in amongst all that busyness and says, Jesus, my son's not well. What's Jesus' response? I will drop everything, even though I'm busy, and make you important. I'll come. Now, we know the centurion says, don't, don't, don't worry. You don't have to come to me. I'm a man under authority. And I know what authority does. If you say the word, it has to happen. And Jesus was like, wow, what faith. But the faith isn't what I'm teaching here. I'm teaching the generous heart of Jesus. He was prepared to lay down his busyness to bless someone else. See, that's the heart of generosity. Can you see it? Can you see it right there? What about the woman at the well? We spoke about her last week. Another very famous story. There's this woman, she's at the well in the heat of the day on her own. She's ostracized by her peers and her village where she lives. No one likes her, no one wants to be with her. They're judging her. And Jesus rocks up. But what you need to know is this is in Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews literally hated each other to the point where you are endangering yourself by being together. 
And Jesus, a Jewish man, goes there, endangering himself and his disciples because he's prepared to put himself in the way to touch the heart of a woman. That's generosity. It's just like, this could be dangerous, guys, but you know what? I've got to get there. I don't care what it takes because my heart is beating for this lady. She's in all kinds of trouble, and I'm just going to get there. I don't care what it takes. We're going. It's the heart of generosity. We could give story after story after story of the generosity of Jesus. And the question I want to pose to us today is, where are you in your journey of a generous heart? And we'll all be at different stages, but could today be a day we take a step closer to Jesus? And we start saying, Lord, help me be a bit more like you. I want to be more generous than I've ever been before. I want to be a blessing to people around me because I want to reflect the heart of you. That's generosity. I want to look at two situations here. Um, one in Matthew 19, and it's headed up the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22, it says this. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What still do I lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And it's just like, wow. Now here's this wealthy guy doing his best to live a godly life. Keeping the commandments. I'm doing the right thing. He approaches Jesus and asks a fair question. Why would Jesus respond like he did to this guy who's doing his very best? And I want to suggest it's this. That the handling of your stuff says more about your heart than keeping the rules. The handling of your stuff says more about the condition of your heart than keeping the rules. And Jesus is more interested in your heart than keeping the rules. You know, I'm sure we could all put our hand up and say, yeah, you know, I've made mistakes this week even. Do my best all the time. But it's okay because God's grace covers that because of the condition of my heart. He's more interested in my heart. And hear me now. God is not anti-wealth. Money's a tool. It brings great blessing. And people who have wealth and handle, it, and handle it brilliantly are allowed to release people and release situations. It's good. But here's the thing. And note, if you're a note taker, take this down. Jesus knew this man's heart. He didn't have money. Money had him. Can you see the difference? You see, in the end, he was saying, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing all the right things. But Jesus being Jesus, imagine actually meeting the actual Jesus. And he looks in your eyes and you think you're doing all this great stuff, but he can just see straight into your heart. And he says, yeah, you're doing all this nice stuff which looks good on the outside, but I'm looking at your heart. And actually your wealth is more important to you than your heart being right with God. Therefore, it's an idol because you're putting that above God. So it's not that God's anti-wealth, but he doesn't want it to become an idol. Can you see? He's after your heart, not your stuff. 
So I know wealthy people, some in this church and some not in church and some in other churches, who handle money brilliantly because of their heart condition. And they're able to release people and, and live brilliant lives because of what God does in and through them. Wealth isn't the issue. The heart is the issue. Can you see? You can have a, a, a generous heart with lots of stuff or a generous heart with no stuff. Or you can have a stingy heart with lots of stuff or a stingy heart with no stuff. But the heart's the issue, not the stuff. Can you hear me? It's very quiet in the room. The next verse says this. Talking about the same guy in the same conversation with Jesus. Then the disciples, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Well, who can be saved then? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I love that. Now, who's heard that verse before? With God, all things are possible by raise of hand. We've all heard that. The verse is in the context of them discussing whether someone who is wealthy gets into heaven. Now, I know that we apply that same principle with oh, all things are possible, and it's true, but in the Bible, that's not what it's actually saying. It's discussing how someone who is wealthy can get into heaven. Because Jesus said it's, more, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the reason the disciples are concerned is this. Many of them are wealthy. They're businessmen, fishermen, got stuff going on in their worlds. And they're like, well, if, what about us then? And they're panicking a little bit. But Jesus says this, with God, all things are possible. What does that even mean in this circumstance? It means that someone who looks to Jesus and gives him their heart can have a heart transformation which softens them and allows them to be generous with their stuff. Therefore, their stuff isn't an idol, it's a tool. And with God, it's possible. I pray for success over all your business and financial world. Why not? Because I know you'll do great things with it. And that's what God wants. He wants people who are going to advance the kingdom. So it's not an anti-wealth thing at all. It's a heart issue. Can you see, whenever the Bible talks about money, it's always talking actually about heart. Because it's a big deal. When God touches your heart, you'll manage your wealth without it being an idol. Contrast the way the rich young ruler behaved with this lady here. And this is the Shunammite woman. You may well be familiar with her. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. One day, Elisha went to Shunam. And a well-to-do woman was there. Now, that suggests to me that she's done well in life. You know, a well-to-do woman. What does that make you think? She urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have, uh, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked Gehazi. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. That's a big deal. 
Because in that culture, everything went to the, to the male side. So if she had no son when her husband died, she'd end up with nothing at all. But if she had a son, the son would inherit everything and would look after the mum. It was a big deal to her. She has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Don't tease me. Don't say that. That's what's really in my heart. It's what I really want. Don't say it if it's not going to be real. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. So here is this well-to-do woman. She has stuff. Her attitude with her stuff is, let's create room for the man of God. Let's make our own expense. It's going to cost us something. Even in our lifestyle, we're going to build a room. It reminds me of living with my wife. There's always stuff going on in the house, stuff going, new walls coming down, rooms appearing, furniture everywhere. But here's this woman saying, we want to do that for the man of God. That's how they were treating Almighty God. We will cost ourselves something. What's that actually doing? It's showing her heart. Because she didn't have to. It would be just as easy for her to say, oh, he'll be all right. He'll walk past it. Someone will look after him. But no, her heart was moved to do something. And it was a heart of generosity. And this is what I love. Heaven gets behind a heart of generosity. Note this. The woman spent her stuff. She didn't get more stuff. She got what she really dreamed of. She got a son. And it was her heart of generosity which made her world bigger. Can you see it? It's not about the stuff. It's about the heart. And the heart handles the stuff which makes a declaration to heaven and people around you. And it makes people's lives get bigger. Who's up for a generous heart? Come on, we want our worlds to be bigger. Part of the picture is the condition of your heart. Come on, prod the person next to you say it's time to be generous. Stella gave a little chuckle there, either. It's because she prodded Nick. No jokes. Where's your heart on your generosity journey? And where could it be this time next year? If you really changed yourself. Here's one of the conundrums for us as Christian men and women. We want to be generous. We want to give to people. We want to give to God. We want to give to projects. But this is the underlying thing. Do we do it because we want the blessings that come attached to it? Or do we do it just because we want to be generous? It's that tricky one, isn't it? Do we just want to be generous? I want to give stuff away and it's going to be awesome. We don't give to get. We give out the overflow of generous hearts that we want to see people blessed. But the inescapable reality is, all through God's word and all through our experiences, this, those who give, get. Those who refresh others are themselves refreshed. Those who help others are themselves helped. Can you see it? It's just an inescapable truth. So we need to have the right heart condition, which is really about generosity, but underpinning it all through God's word, we know he's going to get his weight behind that, and therefore you will be blessed. It's a win-win, people. I love it. Whenever you apply a principle of heaven, everyone wins. You win, others win, God wins. Win, 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 win everywhere. The difficulty is, is where are our hearts? Because if we would just say, Lord, stretch me with a generous heart, you'll win. He will win. People and projects will win because of your stretched heart. Jesus speaking, Luke 6, verse 38. 
give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over and poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You can't miss it. This is Jesus teaching. Give and it's going to be given to you. It's right there. Yet still we have this issue with generosity and thinking, oh, this is, this is, a, this is a, my challenge to myself and to you. If we took Jesus literally at his word, how generous would we be? With the measure you use it, it will be given back to you. Well, imagine if I was prepared to give 20 grand away. Could I do that? That would be a real ouch. But with the measure I use it. Can you see? Now, I'm not asking anyone to do anything overblown and, and, and stupid and make assumptions. I'm challenging you to go to another level with your generous heart. Because with the measure you are generous, God will be generous back to you. The ball's in our court. I love this. Whenever, biblically speaking, you see a principle there once, you need to take note of it. If it's there twice, God is saying, hello. If it's there all the way through the world, it's just like, come on, people, get this. And here we find Paul teaching to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11, saying the exact same principle. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Exactly the same as what Jesus is saying. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Can you see this heart link again? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food and also, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will make thanksgiving to God. Can you see that, that verse, that passage there brings it all together. There's this idea of you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. Don't give it out of compulsion. But when you give... You're demonstrating your heart. Give what you've decided in your heart. And as you give, heaven looks at that principle in your heart and says, yes, we want to get our weight behind that. And with the measure you use it, we're going to measure it back to you. And as you're generous, we're going to be generous to you because I love sowers. I've got this seed and I'm going to give it away. And so he will increase my seed so I can sow some more. And it creates this cycle of blessing, which starts with the condition of my heart. I love the link here it makes with righteousness. Your generous heart is one of the declarations of your right standing with Almighty God. Because if you're going to be like God, we know he's generous. Then therefore we need to be generous. And it says something about our right standing with him. Can you see it? If you look at that passage in the NIV, it's even, it's even titled Generosity Encouraged. I love that. Can I very briefly... Just for five minutes, just touch on the tithe. We don't talk about the tithe, and if you're a first-time visitor here, don't worry, we don't talk about money every week. I do this about once a year. It's just it's this week. <laughs> but money's important to all of us. And there's not many people here who wouldn't mind being a tad better off. Money's important to all of us, and it touches us. And the tithe belongs to God. Tithe isn't generosity, it's actually God's. The tithe is 10%. Generosity starts at 11%. 
that, that's the reality. But let me unpack the tithe. And the reason I want to unpack the tithe just in five minutes, a five-minute tithe message, is for this. Most people get the tithe. Unchurched people will probably say to you, oh, don't you have to give 10%? As if that's the worst thing in the world. Don't you have to give 10% of everything? We all know that. And it gets, it gets taught badly in churches. It's got a bad rep. There's misinterpretation. But this is the reality. The reason it caused such a stir is because it says something about the condition of our heart. God isn't after your money. He's after your heart. But the heart is demonstrated, at least in part, in how you're going to handle the tithe. Let me unpack it just very quickly. Here we are in the Garden of Eden. God has made this world, it's awesome, he's made this great big garden, we call it Eden, he puts man and, and woman in the middle of it, and he says one thing, he says explore it all, knock yourself out, there's so much stuff, there's the animals, you know, look how far you can go over there, there's stuff. just one tree, one tree, one tree. The, uh, uh, my understanding is the Garden of Eden would be about the size of England, one tree. You know, if we went to the park over there and I said, just don't touch one tree, you could manage that, guys, couldn't you? We're talking about this massive place. And God says, please don't touch one tree. Because what that does is shows your heart to me. That I am God and you're not. I'm the king and you're not. By leaving that, have everything else. But this one tree is my portion. It's the king's portion. And it enables you to demonstrate your reverence to me. It's mine. Can you see it? We know how the story goes. <laughs> they couldn't even leave that one tree. And we wouldn't do that, would we? We would never do that. Leave the tree over there. Do not touch the tree. It's the king's portion. Later on, you know, as that pans out, by the way, does God still love them? Absolutely, yes. But do they step out of his covering and his blessing? Absolutely, yes. Because the first thing that happens after that is that they fight and someone's killed. And then there's multiple, man marries multiple women and all kinds of stuff goes off because of the heart of man's bad. But God still loves them. But they didn't honour the king's portion and they stepped out of his cover and blessing. It's an important key. In Genesis 14, we find Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith. And he bumps into this guy called Melchizedek. Just so we can keep talking, turn to the person next to you in your best, in your best Hebrew, say Melchizedek. He meets this guy, Melchizedek. Now, he's a forerunner for Jesus. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. He comes to him, and they have this encounter. And something goes off in the heart of Abraham when he meets this guy, and in his heart, he has this connection with God, and he says, I'm going to give you a tenth, because it's the king's portion. No rules. No one had to say anything to him. It's just a man who has a heart after God. When he encountered the king, he said, I'm going to give you a tenth because it's the king's portion. Later on, we find Jacob, very famous passage where he, he, he falls asleep and he has this dream of, of angels going up and down the ladder. You'll have, be familiar with Jacob's ladder. Angels going up and down this ladder and he lays there and he just has this revelation. This is where heaven is touching earth. And I want to read to you what it says in Genesis 28 verses 19 through 22. And he called the name, so this is Jacob, he called the name of that place where he met the angels, Beth-El. Beth-El means house of God. Beth is house, El is God. Beth-El. The name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow. 
saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, Beth El. And all that you give to me, I will surely give a tenth to you. No rules, just a man who's had an encounter with heaven that says, wow, this has to be the house of God. It's where heaven touches earth. And now my heart is moved to give you the king's portion, which is a tenth set by Abraham. Then Moses rocks up. Moses understands what's happened here with these guys, this revelation they've had. And they see there's a principle developing. The king's portion is a principle. It's a tenth. And he knows blessings at stake. And he is leading the people of Israel. And he knows their blessings at stake because there is something linked between coming under the cover and blessing of God and honouring his portion. And so what does Moses do? He looks at the Israelite people and he sees their heart. And they are hard-hearted. The Bible often talks about them as if they're stiff-necked. Have you heard that phrase? So they don't want to turn. They're not going to do what you say. Have you ever had a stiff neck? You can't move. It's like that, stiff-necked people. No, 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 we're going to live it our way. So what does Moses do? He writes some rules. And in the rules, you have to, by law, give a tenth. Why? Because Moses was so desperate that people would walk under the blessings of God and he knew their hearts wouldn't honour the principle, so he made it a rule. Was that God's intention? No. He didn't want rules. He wanted relationship with mankind. He wanted mankind to have the freedom to either honour the king or not. But in honouring the king, you come under his cover and his blessing. It's touching the king's portion. Then we come to Malachi 3, probably the most famous tithe verse. You'll all be familiar with it. I'm sure you've probably had it taught to you loads of different ways. And God says to the people, why are you robbing me? And they're like, what are you talking about? How can earth could we rob you? And this is what it says. Malachi 3, verse 8, and then verse 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And here's the thing. Try me on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Can you see the heart of the Father there? I want relationship with you. I'm not going to force this on you, but this is a kingdom principle that honours the king's portion. Just like the tree in Eden, honour my portion. You didn't, you came out of the blessing. There's Abraham, there's Jacob, men just having a heart after God that honour the king's portion. Then there has to be a rule. Because then I won't do it because of their condition of their heart, not the condition of their stuff. And God's after their heart, not their stuff. And they don't even do it then. And God sends the prophet in to say, you're robbing me. I want to bless you. Here's my heart. I want to bless you. But there's a kingdom principle at stake. And it actually shows me the condition of your heart. In not honouring that, you're really saying to me, you don't believe I'll honour you. And it shows something about your relationship with God. Moses knew what was at stake, so he made it a rule. I noticed this, the reason for the tithe. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there will be food in my house. So you put that into today's culture. We bring the tithes into the house. This is the house of God. It enables us to function. What we're doing now is putting on a meal. 
Come and get around the word of God. Eat. This is the meal. This is the storehouse. This is food on the table. It costs something. How does God say we're going to pay for that? Because we honor the king's portion. And that's how we function as a church. But what we're really doing is showing our hearts to God. Jesus gets questioned on it. You know, so many people say, yeah, Barry, that's the law and that's Old Testament. I hope I'm showing you. It wasn't supposed to be a law. It was supposed to be a heart issue. It became a law because of the condition of people's heart. And Moses stepped in. Even then they didn't do it. And now Jesus himself rocks up. This is Jesus. Not Pastor Barry. Jesus. He was probably better looking than me. Mark 12, 17. They're asking him about paying taxes. And this is what he says. Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and back to God what is God's. What could he be talking about? What on earth would Jesus be talking about that was God's? There's been no other teaching on this handling of money other than the tithe. So for me, my interpretation of that is, yes, it is right to pay taxes and it is right to honour the tithe because it's God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Jesus speaking. So here we are, New Testament. If people wrestle with this stuff because they think it's Old Testament, Jesus himself backed it. It was never supposed to be a law. It was supposed to be a heart decision. But hard-hearted men ruined it. But God wants to bless you. Here's my reality. Sarah and I have tithed all of our married life. I don't know anyone in church life who tithes and regrets it. I don't know anyone who tithes and is worse off. Because God has to honour his word. Test me in this and see if I want to throw open the windows of heaven. Now here's that issue again. Do I give to get or do I give to show my heart? Well, I do my best to show my heart, but inevitably I get. Because that's the heart of God and I can't outgive him. But it's a heart issue. It's not a rule. Can you hear, can you hear me? When we talk about tithing in church or whatever church you may go to, you hear them talking about tithing. It's a heart issue, not a rule. You'll, I hear people all the time saying, oh, it's old covenant, I'm under new covenant. What that really means is, I don't want to give anything because I'm stingy. Come on, let's pull it down. That's what it really means, isn't it? Oh, I'm under the new covenant. That means I don't have to give anything. Oh, come on. Where are you showing your heart to God then? Can I just touch on another couple of things that sometimes irk me? Barry, Pastor Barry, I don't think tithing's all about money and stuff you can tithe your time ever heard that one well firstly you'll never find that principle in god's word i've looked plenty of times googled it and all sorts it's not there because they always tithe their substance and the second thing is this okay knock yourself out i'll go with you on that tithe your time then there's 168 hours in a week so are you going to give me 16.8 hours of your time every single week because that's tithing it Make an orderly cue. <laughs> no one's running. People say to me, Barry, what I think I need to do is I need to up my tithe. Ever heard that one? The tithe is, is a tenth. You can't up a tenth. It's a tenth. If you're giving 5%, you're not tithing at all. So you're not tithing. But you could up it to a tenth and then you're tithing. If you're tithing, you're saying to me, you're going to up your tithe and you're going to go to 12%. That's awesome. But you can't up your tithe. It is a tenth. You can step into generosity. Can you see? But, so these are little things that probably get under lots of leaders' skin. <laughs> and it's difficult to talk about money. I've, I've had the most difficult morning I've had 
you know, for a long time, or certainly since we've been meeting back as a church, because I believe the devil doesn't want us to talk about it. There are two things that I believe affect every single one of us, and the church is scared to talk about them. One is money, and the other one is sexual relationships. They affect all of us, and the church should have the loudest voice on both those topics. But actually, what do we do? We shrink back because it's a little bit awkward. Don't talk about the money issue. Don't talk about the sex issue. It's all a bit awkward. Well, I'm not going to do that. And my heart here isn't to bang you over the head and tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing with your money. I want you to point you to the word, and I want to point you to Jesus, and I want to challenge you to pray about it and say, Lord, do, do something in my heart. Because I want you blessed. God wants you blessed. But the ball is in our core. Are you with me? Can you see all these links then that the word makes between heart and stuff and money and giving? It's all linked up, but there was never supposed to be any rules. It was always supposed to be relationship. I, I struggle with the whole idea of, you know, when people find out what I do, they say, oh, you're religious. <sighs> I suppose on one level I am, but I'm not religious. I have a relationship with God who loves me. Religion is man's attempt to get to God by doing right things. Jesus is God's attempt to get to man through grace. It's just better. But in all of this, my hope, as you consider today's message, is that you will go to the Father and pray, Lord, search my heart. Help me to be a little bit more like Jesus. In faith, could I take a step towards generosity? I'll leave the tithe thing with you. No, no beating you up from my perspective, but I do want to teach you the truth. But could we be people who come out the other side of this saying, I'm going to be generous. If someone needs to borrow my car, if someone needs my time, if I've got some skills that could help someone else, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to go there because it will bless them and it makes their world bigger and my world bigger and it reflects the heart of God. If there's an opportunity to give to something, I'm going to give to it, even if it stretches me, because I know that God gives seed to the sower. And I look at my bank and think, how on earth am I going to afford that? And then I do it, and then suddenly something comes that way. Why? Because God will back his principles. And you just will be better off. It's sometimes scary. That amount I've just put in that bucket that I've got to pay next year scares me. Never paid £2.50 before. <laughs> But all jokes aside, that's an amount of money we've not given before. But I'm saying, okay, God, you've moved my heart. I need you. I'm flying by the seat of my pants now. But I know over the course of this year, the Holy Spirit's going to come under me and my family will be blessed. Why? Not because I'm great. But because I've got a generous heart is after my father. And I want to see you blessed. I want to see the people in this community and this school blessed. God wants to see us blessed, but the ball is in our call. Are you with me? Would you let me pray for you? Could you stand your feet?